but I had several turning points that obviously were the hand of God. But here's the thing, Wayne, you don't realize it when you're doing it, only in retrospect. If you look at my life and you see the providences, you may ask the question, well, why me? I think it's the prayers of my parents. His voice has been heard from the pulpit of Chicago's Moody Memorial Church now for over 35 years. And Dr. Erwin Lutzer is our guest today on First Person. Welcome to this week's program. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thank you for tuning in today, and we'll hear from Dr. Lutzer in just a moment. First, I want to bring your attention to our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Very soon now, we'll be releasing our smartphone app for this program, and the website will have all the details online at firstpersoninterview.com. We also have a first-person page on Facebook where you can leave comments. It's facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, Dr. Erwin Lutzer has announced an upcoming change in the leadership at one of America's great churches, the Moody Church, on the near north side of the city of Chicago. Dr. Lutzer will soon become Pastor Emeritus, taking on a wider range of responsibilities and continuing his radio ministry running to win. But the church has begun its search for a new pastor. In the meantime, Dr. Lutzer has just published his autobiography titled, He Will Be the Preacher. That title will become clear in a moment. So I went to Moody Church to talk with him. And as we spoke, we sat on the platform, the only two people in the sanctuary on that afternoon. Well, Dr. Lutzer, talk to me about where we're sitting, this place that holds such affection in your life. It certainly does hold affection in my life. And we are sitting in the sanctuary of the Moody Church. Not the Moody Church, the Moody Church. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Known around the world. And uh, for people who haven't been here, they should know that the architecture was actually inspired by the Church of Holy Wisdom in Istanbul. Hmm. So as you look around, you can see that it is Byzantine, but also Romanesque. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, with more than just a little bit of prejudice, I think it's the most beautiful church in all of America. I hope our listeners, as you tune in very carefully, are hearing the ambiance of this room because we're the only two people in this nearly 4,000-seat sanctuary right now. And I wanted to sit here with you because right to our left, my left, is the pulpit where you've been preaching for how many years now? Actually, I always say that it's 35, but actually, Wayne, it's more than that because I was interim pastor for a year and a half before I became the pastor. So it's more like 36 going on 37. Yeah. I've been hanging around this neighborhood for about 40 years and uh, remember when you were called here. Tell the story of how you were called, the unusual circumstance and story. I was pastor of Edgewater Baptist Church in 1977, had been there for five and a half years. I resigned to teach full-time in the fall at Moody Bible Institute. So they had a farewell for us the last Sunday of March in 1977. So we wake up the first Sunday of April, without a church to go to. I wanted to go to a different church, but Rebecca said, let's go to Moody Church. That's going to be a strange feeling for someone who's used to being in church in the pulpit every Sunday. And not only that, on the way down, she says, it'll be so great to be able to sit with you. And uh, so I followed my wife's suggestion. You know, oftentimes, Wayne, when I hear the voice of God, it sounds an awful lot like Rebecca. <laughs> I've, I've said that about my wife And many times. Uh, also, uh, we had come to know Pastor Wearsby. So I drop her off and the two kids, this is 1977, and I said, I'm going to find a parking space, and then what I'll do is I'll come and find you in the lobby. LaSalle Street was just as tight as a drum with cars. I thought, this is going to be a long time. But in front of me, 
A man is walking across the street. He fidgets with his keys, gets into his car, and drives away, and I back in. and think, boy, this is really fortunate, maybe a hundred feet from the door of the church. I walk into the lobby and find Rebecca, and Wearsby is walking past me, and he has his coat on. So he doesn't see me, but I see him, and I said, Wearsby, what are you doing here 10 minutes before the service? Yeah, he you're said, the, you're the Lutzer. preacher. Yeah. He said, uh, I'm on my way home. Will you preach for me this morning? Oh. So the first time we ever attended a service at Moody Church, I preached at Moody Church. I still remember standing on the platform that morning and saying to myself, as kind of a joke, if they ever call me to be the pastor, I'll say yes. <laughs> of course, I never dreamed that would happen. Right. But here's the point. That's another dot that God was connecting in his providential leading in my life so that eventually I would be the pastor here. Yeah, I want to talk more about those dots. By the way, do you remember that sermon? Oh, yes. It was on Psalm 1. I remember I had preached it before about meditating in the law of God. I went to the back over here. He introduced me to his staff. And on the back of an envelope, I wrote out the outline that I had previously used. And you know, Wayne, I wish I had kept that envelope, yeah. but at the time, you have no idea that this is significant. <laughs> no, right, right. Only in retrospect do you realize that that was important. All right, let's back up in time now. Let's go to dot number one. Your new autobiography is called He Will Be the Preacher. Uh, was it daunting at all to write an autobiography? Well, you know, Wayne, originally, I wasn't going to write it for everyone. I thought that this would be for my family. But then Moody Publishers talked to me, and they began to realize here that there was a story that a lot of people might be interested in. So I uh, sat down and wrote the story of my life. Now, since you mentioned the uh, title of the book, He Will Be the Preacher, I have to explain how that came yeah, about. I love this story. When I was a baby sleeping in a crib... My mother told me how that the pastor and his wife who married them came for a visit. And before the wife left, she leaned over and gave me a kiss and said in German, Er wird der Prediger sein. He will be the preacher. Well, I don't know whether she said this just as kind of an offhand comment, whether she was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What I do know is that her prophecy came to pass. Hmm. And so I have felt, even from the beginning as a young person, this call on my life. You know, I was born in a farmhouse five miles from a town of 75 people. And uh, as I was growing up on the farm, something deep within me told me that this was not my destiny. Mm. And then came Billy Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Via the radio? No. My sister walked into the farmhouse and said, and I'm 12 years old, I think, about then. She said, we're going to see a film oh. about Billy Graham. And I said, who's Billy Graham? And she said, he's a man in the United States who, when he preaches, hundreds of people get saved. Well, that night, I joined my siblings to see Mr. Texas. Most of our audience has never heard of it. It was the first Billy Graham film, black and white I think it was Fort Worth, Texas, Billy preaching to maybe 50 or 60,000 people. And it showed this young evangelist preaching with intensity and people listening so quietly. And I came home hooked on Billy. My generation of teenagers was into Elvis 
and I was into Billy. <laughs> and you know, Wayne, I think I made the better choice. I think you choice. made the best choice, yeah. yeah. Right. Now, you're in a pretty isolated community growing up. I learned from the book, when you and I talked about your life story previously on this program several years ago, but I did not understand then just how isolated your community was. One-room country school, that sort oh, of thing. Oh, exactly. And in the book, I tell stories about that. We can't even go into that except to say that in winter, we went to school with a sleigh <laughs> and uh, in the summer with a horse and buggy at three and a half miles from the farmhouse. When I learned later that there were classrooms all devoted to first grade and second grade <laughs> in the city, I thought, what a piece of cake for the teacher, right. because our teacher began with row one, which was grade one, maybe three or four students, went to grade two, grade three, and then she'd make the rounds again. That's the way in which she taught. You know, I understand that because I had a similar experience. It wasn't as isolated as yours, but for the first five years of my life, I went to a one-room country school with multiple grades in the same classroom. So I yeah. guess we're old timers, aren't we? Uh, we must be, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but Billy Graham, so, so did you begin your famous impersonation of Billy Graham at that point? Uh, soon. I began certainly as a teenager. I would uh, be on my father's tractor and pretend that I was preaching to 60,000 people. And I uh, read everything I could about him, listened to the hour of decision, <laughs> and uh, became a fan of Billy Graham's. Now, here's the thing I want to emphasize, and I say this all to the glory of God. God must have looked down from heaven and smiled and said, you know, someday I'm going to have a surprise for this farm boy <laughs> because someday he's going to sit down and meet Billy Graham and spend about 20 minutes with him in his study at the Moody Church. Wow. Now, how could I, <laughs> you couldn't have out on the tractor, no, no. milking cows... You couldn't write that story. You couldn't write that story. And then later on, uh, Billy's oldest daughter, Gigi, uh, took us to visit him about two or three years ago there in Montreat, North Carolina. It's a reminder of the fact that sometimes God allows children to realize their dreams. Mm -hmm. This may be the most important part of this interview. If you look at my life and you see the providences, you may ask the question, well, why me? <laughs> I've asked that many times. I think it's the prayers of my parents. Hmm. Who is it who said that we don't get the life we deserve, we get the life that God designs? You have experienced that. Very much so, and that's actually why I wrote the book. It was to give glory to God for those providential leadings in my life that uh, were destiny decisions. You know, there are many decisions we make that are not destiny decisions. But I had several turning points that obviously were the hand of God. But here's the thing, Wayne, you don't realize it when you're doing it, only in retrospect. And we'll talk about some of those turning points with Dr. Erwin Lutzer coming up today on First Person. This program is produced each week with the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company, proclaiming Christ to the world by radio. If you would like to know more about the new radio program, FEBC Today with Ed Cannon, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and follow the links to FEBC Today. Every day, Ed and I bring you stories of lives changed by the gospel through FEBC. Learn more about FEBC Today at firstpersoninterview.com. My guest on First Person Today, my delightful guest, someone I've known for many years and have had many opportunities to talk with, but never have had this deep a conversation about your own life, Erwin. Dr. Erwin Lutzer is with us, longtime pastor of Moody Church in Chicago. 
Uh, you've recently written, He Will Be the Preacher, that uh, prophetic announcement by the pastor's wife when you were a baby in the crib. We don't know if it was the Lord's leading or if it was just a lucky guess, but <laughs> it turned out to be true. It turned it? out to be true. Yeah. Yeah. So this book is all about your calling, all about how God has led through the years. And I want you to pick up the story about how you transitioned from being a farm boy, uh, going to a country school, to where you are today. Well, you know, let me give you a providence in my life. When I was going to high school, it was in a Christian high school, and on the same campus was a Bible college. Now, when I was in my 12th grade, I uh, wondered where I would go, and most of my friends were going to the Bible college that was right there on the same campus, and the principal of the high school said, fill out this application and you'll get a scholarship. I wrote my name at the top, couldn't fill it in. It was as if a blanket covered me and said, don't you dare fill out that application. Hmm. Why? God didn't want me to go there. A friend of mine was going to Winnipeg Bible College, and he said, come with me. And I went to Winnipeg Bible College. Wayne, it was in Winnipeg Bible College that I met Elmer Towns, who was the president. He became the president in my senior year. And he's the one who encouraged me to go to Dallas Seminary. I'm not sure that I had heard of Dallas Seminary before. And lo and behold, I end up then in Dallas, thanks to him. That's where, of course, I received my education, a lot of uh, theological education at Dallas Seminary. That's where I met my wife. If I had gone to the Bible college there in Canada, like my friends, I'm sure that I'd be a pastor somewhere in Canada, enjoying it, whatever. But Moody Church would have been out of the question. God had a better plan, obviously. All right, so I know we're skipping a lot, but it's in the book, He Will Be the Preacher. But take me to Dallas, and one of the most touching parts of the book and most vulnerable parts of the book was young love, how you were convinced that God was leading you to marry a young woman, and that wasn't God's plan for you. No, it wasn't. And uh, the bottom line is this, you know, I'm madly in love with this young woman. And uh, all of the signs pointed to God's will, how we met the whole bit. But God began to put me through huge depression. Hmm. I mean, I had so many internal struggles. Sometimes I wondered if I could get out of bed. I could hardly function in the classrooms. So I broke up with her. I had to, really, because of the anguish within my heart. And then, of course, the depression left. And I thought, well, the depression must have been from the devil, not from God. So I started it again, the relationship. And it ended up much worse for both of us. Now, the reason that I included that, Wayne, and I know it's in considerable detail. Yeah, but I think it's, it's an important point you're making here that will re- be readily identifiable with, with the young I believe readers. that parents are going to ask their children to read that chapter right. if they read nothing else. I think so, too. That it's possible to be in love with someone you should not marry. Good point, yes. And the fact is that all the signs pointed toward it. And, and Wayne, I ask myself this question, why was God so gracious to me to keep me from a marriage that probably would not have turned out very well? Hmm. And the funny part is, I have a little section there, the night that God smiled. It's my senior year of seminary. I'm to go to the seminary banquet to uh, imitate Billy Graham. I'm the humor <laughs> for the are. That's what you do. Yeah, that's what I do. I, I impersonate Billy. And many banquets since. Many banquets <laughs> since. And uh, I need a date because I'm at the head table. The young lady I was dating at the time that we're talking about couldn't come because of some conflict. 
A young woman by the name of Rebecca was going with another guy, but I had met her in a church, and I called her and said, could you come with me just for the evening? She checked with her boyfriend, and he said, sure, you can be with her when for just the one evening. platonic date, right? Platonic date. Yeah. On the way home, God is my witness. Rebecca loves Colorado. She loves the mountains. She was joking that if we ever got married, we'd have our honeymoon in Colorado. <laughs> Obviously, it was a joke. This was just for the evening. And she went her way. I went mine. But you know, about a year and a half or two later, you guessed it. We were married and we had our honeymoon in Colorado. You didn't talk to her for a year and a half at least? I'm trying to do the math now. Okay. But I it was a long Canada. time. I went to Canada to teach. And um, I was involved there. And about a year and a half later, I wondered about her because I actually had another relationship up there, which didn't uh, pan out. And so I decided to write to her. As far as I was concerned, I said in the letter, maybe you're already married. I had no idea. We had no contact. I laughed when I read that part yeah, of the book. Right. Maybe you're already married. Maybe you're a missionary. I don't yeah, know, who, I don't know who, where you, you are, are but, in the world, but here, here but I am. But here, you know, if you want to correspond, <laughs> and lo and behold... I get a four-page letter back, and I think, boy, it wouldn't have taken four pages for her to say no. <laughs> so that's the way it began. All right. And how many years of marriage now? Uh, 46 going on 47. And you have three? Three uh, grown children. They are married. They've all married Christian men and eight lovely, lively grandchildren with one grandchild in heaven. Okay. Our first granddaughter was still born. All right. Well, it's unmistakable how God has led, and uh, I, I know when you went back to Canada after Dallas even, you thought maybe that was going to be it. Uh, how did you come to Chicago? What, what's that story? You know, in the late 60s, there was a summer school here. It was the old Winona Lake School of Theology, and it moved here. And there were some well-known professors that I wanted to study under. So even though I was teaching in Canada, I came to Chicago and uh, the purpose was to go to school there. And so that's kind of how the bridge got built. And then after I connected with Rebecca and we were married, we moved to Canada for one more year of teaching. But again, I was actually on my way to the East Coast to Drew University to do a PhD in philosophy. And while we were here in Chicago for another session of summer school, a man from Moody Bible Institute Here's another providence. He said, Erwin, why don't you go to Loyola University and teach part-time at Moody? They have a degree in philosophy. So I thought, well, that's interesting. I'll try. And so I was accepted by Loyola and taught part-time at Moody. Yeah, that's when and we that's... met. I was on staff at Moody and met you that year, actually. Really? Yeah. So anyway, I was, I was there. And so we stayed in Chicago. Then I became pastor of Edgewater. And then we left because I was going to teach full-time at Moody, and then I've already told the story about how I ended up at Moody Church. By the way, Edgewater is another local Chicago-area church. That's right. Uh, still going strong yeah. as well. Well, um, through the years, God has given you so many opportunities um, and so many books. Um, you've been teaching as well along the way, teaching in seminary, for instance. Um, I was laughing when I read the uh, part of the book where you talked about taking your students to the cemetery yeah. to learn how to preach. Um, Tell me what that's all about. I was teaching preaching at Trinity Seminary. This was just part-time going up there. I did that for several years. And on the way home, I said, Lord, how can I 
help these students understand how desperately we need to depend on God when we preach the gospel. Just like that, the idea occurred to me, take them to a cemetery and, and have them preach to the dead. All pastors can identify with that, I think. <laughs> so on the way back, when I was teaching the next week, I thought I was going to stop in Deerfield and find the cemetery. So Wayne, uh, you talk about the providence of God. I, I stop at a restaurant and uh, two people come out of the door, a man and a woman, and I said to them, I know that this really sounds strange, but I said, do you know where the cemetery is here in Deerfield? And the woman said, well, ask this man. He's the caretaker. <laughs> so I found out where the cemetery so was. So we, I told the students, pack up your books. We're going to the cemetery. So they, they came to the cemetery, and I did this every year. Uh, we gathered around, and I said, I want you to choose a tombstone and preach to the dead. Because the Bible says that those who aren't saved, Ephesians chapter 2, are dead in their trespasses and sins, and it's good for you to get some practice to preach to dead people. Well, you know, the blood drained from their face. One student said later that if it wasn't Erwin Lutzer, he'd have bolted. (laughs) Most of the time they wouldn't, but I always did. So I went and I chose a gravestone. You know, let's say Jonathan died 1914. I shouted, Jonathan, stand up. It's the day of resurrection. Then I waited for a resurrection. I said to the students, you know, he didn't come forward because I didn't shout loud enough. Of course he would if he heard me. So I shouted. And then I said, how do you think that made me feel? They said, pretty stupid. I said, yep. And that's how stupid you are when you preach the gospel. There's the lesson. If God doesn't intervene and cause a resurrection, so I help them to see that preaching involves uh, salvation, the blind to see, the dead to be raised, and the deaf to hear. And then we get on our knees in the cemetery and dedicate ourselves to total unrelenting dependence upon God for the proclamation of the gospel. I'm not done talking to you, Dr. Lutzer, but I have to ask, what's next? You've made a rather significant announcement at Moody Church. Yes. In this past January, I mentioned to the church that I think it's time for them to think transition. So there is a committee that has been formed, a search committee. And um, however, I'm going to continue to be the pastor until they find another pastor. And that could be for a year or more. So we'll see how it pans out. But I'm not retiring. I'm going to be the pastor emeritus, and I'm going to be holding seminars, and I'm asking the Lord, what can I do to help the next generation? Excellent. I want to invest in the life of young people and young pastors. And for those who know us through the radio, the radio ministry, Running to Win, will continue that was my next question. under okay. my leadership Good. and my direction. That's great news. And uh, it's really a non-transferable program. And we have plenty of programs, and I'll continue to do preaching, so Running to Win will continue. I'm glad to hear it. Well, Dr. Lutzer, I knew this would happen. We didn't have time on the radio to talk about everything I wanted to talk about. So we have uh, this extra few minutes to talk here uh, on the platform at an empty sanctuary of Moody Church in Chicago. I wanted to bring you here because this, this place means a lot to me, and it certainly means a lot to you. You've invested your life. Uh, standing at that pulpit right off to the I've side here. I've preached here hundreds and hundreds of times. Unimaginable. Talk to me about Moody Church, what it means to you today, what it meant to you. I, mean, I know you were honored to come here in the first place all those years ago. Just talk to me about the church. When I came to Moody Church, I felt that the church was somewhat isolated from the community. I mean, the previous pastors had wonderful ministries that they began and all, but Moody Church was considered to be sort of a bastion of fundamentalism, that this is where people came to. 
So we began to ask ourselves, how can we have an outreach to the community? So we began ministries like Women in the Working World. We began the Men's Business Luncheon, the Moody Business Luncheon. And then throughout the years, God has birthed various ministries here. Uh, People can go online and learn more about By the Hand Club for Kids, which really is impacting Chicago in phenomenal ways. It's a story that needs to be told and continues to be told, and that all had its roots here. And we had ministry in Africa because of another woman and her vision whom we helped. So as a result of that, I think the image of Moody Church has changed. Hmm. Uh, People begin to see us, I hope and pray, as a very caring community. We are not here to judge them. Uh, We are here to proclaim the gospel and to share the love of Christ. And so throughout the years, we've seen growth. It has not been spectacular growth. As a matter of fact, in the last years, we've kind of leveled off some. We go up, and then we go down a little bit, and we continue to go up. Yeah, the city around you has changed dramatically in the last 30 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, this used to be a very bad area, I'm Mm -hmm. told. And now, of course, with high rises, it gives it stability and so forth. It's a different kind of of, uh, neighborhood. People were moving out to the suburbs. Now people in the last years have been coming back into the city. Mm Regentrification is taking place. So the city itself is changing. But Wayne, there's something so exciting about Moody Church. And we've done this survey more than once to prove its truthfulness. On any given Sunday morning, we have people here from more than 70 different countries of origin. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that many. Yeah. And and actually, I'm told by my staff that 70 is a very uh, low number. We probably have a lot more. Yeah. Well, here you are, right in the city. So Exactly. And we want to reflect the city. And not only that, I tell the congregation that we're preparing people for heaven where there are going to be people from every tongue and nation represented. So, There are many people who actually come in from the suburbs who worship with us because the very idea of the diversity is a great encouragement to them. And so um, we're different than most suburban churches, and diversity is important to us. Maybe uh, 15 years or so ago, we came up with a promise statement. Moody Church is a trusted place where anyone can connect with God and others. Hmm. And by anyone, we mean that indeed our doors are open to everyone to hear the gospel and to come and worship with us. And so the idea of diversity to us is very important. And we give God the glory. It's not as if we had some great plan out there to say that we want the nations of the world to come and worship with us. It just happened. Yeah. Well, we rejoice in churches of every size, Bible-proclaiming churches of every size in America, but the body of Christ in this country is well-served by strong anchor churches like Moody Church in Chicago. I would like to think that uh, many people look to the Moody Church and uh, look to it even for guidance. And, uh, you know, we as a staff know that if Moody Church does something, probably a lot of churches will say it must be okay. (laughs) And we don't take lightly the fact that it's a great responsibility uh, to think that we are seen by a lot of people. But at the end of the day, you know, a couple of things. I do believe in long pastorates. (laughs) I think... The fact that I've been here this long gives the church a sense of stability. It helps people. Of course, we have many visitors every Sunday, primarily because they've listened on the radio. 
but it helps people to know what's going to happen, who's going to be in charge. And so uh, I'm in favor of that. I always say this, because I'm asked this at pastor's conferences, how could you stay that long? (laughs) Well, first of all, (laughs) let me say that um, I think being the pastor of a church is something like being married, except that divorce is legal. (laughs) There has to be a symmetry between what the congregation expects and what the pastor expects and what he brings to the table. And I say to the glory of God that apparently throughout the years, I have met the expectations of the congregation. The congregation certainly has met my expectations. And therefore, what this means is there's been good symmetry between me and the congregation. They have given me, to the glory of God, a sense of acceptance, which is very, very important. And I apparently have uh, met their needs also and their expectations of a pastor. Well, we talked about your personal story on the radio broadcast, and now we have this opportunity to talk about the ministry of the church. Your book emphasizes, your book is not just an autobiography. Your book is a book for young pastors and church leaders to read and to understand how God works in the life of a church as well. And for young pastors to realize that it's the long-range point of view. You know, when I was going through my life in my early years, and of course I'm still going through my life, but in the early years, I didn't necessarily see God's providential hand. And I'd say to young pastors out there and others who read this book, God never allows us to see all the good that we do. He withholds that from us. That's why I think it says, you know, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from this time henceforth. They rest from their labors. Their works follow them. And I was reminded of that just last week. Got an email from somebody who said I witnessed to him 16 years ago. He was in our home. I don't remember him. Rebecca doesn't remember him. But he credits that with leading him to faith in Christ. And I thought, you know. You just don't know. You just don't know. Uh, You throw a stone into the pond and the ripples go all the way to the shore. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing place. The history of Moody Church, all the ministry that has uh, sprung from this building and from this body of Christ through the years. And to hear that it's going on and in years to come as Christ tarries, we're going to read about these ministries that are here and now that are going to have a, a worldwide impact, I believe. Exactly. And you know, as I think about standing behind this pulpit, and of course, this wasn't the pulpit that was here when I came because people who read my book will read about the big fire, the fire we had. Yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about that. And the arsonist mm-hmm. who came into the church and uh, attempted to burn it all down, uh, which is quite a story. But it is here that Gypsy Smith used to preach. <laughs> Billy Sunday used to preach here. Now, Wayne, those who are listening to us, because this is only audio, they may not fully appreciate this, but we're here on the platform, so I can explain this to you. Do you notice how the pulpit is standing up here, uh-huh. maybe three feet or so from the lower yeah, platform yeah, where a, we there's are? There's an upper platform, right. Yeah. Billy Sunday, I received a letter from someone who is here during his time. He used to jump from there to there without using the stairs. Because remember, <laughs> Billy Sunday was into baseball. You know, you hit a home well, run. you could have Jesus. done that in your early years. I could have done that in my early years. Now, I'd have to obviously, I, I need help we'll, people we'll build a ramp for uh, leading, you. <laughs> me, leading me down the stairs, much less jumping there. Yeah. But uh, so that has that history. Billy Graham, even before he became famous, preached here, and he's been here a number of times Youth since. for Christ rallies here. Youth for Christ yeah. rallies here. So... Uh, If these bricks could talk, Hmm. 
what a story they would tell. But, you know, that story has been written in glory, and uh, God's got a record of it. Right. Well, we honor the place, but of course we honor the one who has made all this possible, and I know you do. That's the story of your life, is uh, giving honor and glory to God for how he's led you. And, you know, I want to say this. This is very critical. This may be the most important part of this interview. If you look at my life and you see the providences, you may ask the question, well, why me? (laughs) I've asked that many times. I think it's the prayers of my parents. Hmm. You know, my parents, uh, my dad walked my mother home, and on their first date, he asked whether she would marry him. She said she'd have to think about it, but within three weeks they were married. Now, that was different days. They never read a single book by James Dobson. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you have to know a little bit about their history to know how that came about. But anyway... And you have that in the book. And and I I have that in the book. I want listeners to get that book. Yeah. Here's the point. They were very simple people in some regards. Not... They were very bright. But they lived a simple life on the farm. But there's one thing they knew to do, and that is to pray. We had devotions every morning after breakfast. They would read to us from the German Bible. We'd all get on our knees. As kids, we kind of resented it, but we thought, you know, this is what mom and dad want us to do. They prayed a lot. Now, they lived together 77 years. My father died when he was 106, and my mother when she was 103. I always say that my parents lived so long that I'm sure that until my father died, they thought, the people in heaven thought, that the Lutzers just didn't make it. <laughs> they said, where in the world are the Lutzers? Well, it also tells me you have a ways to go. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, they lived together 77 years. On their 70th anniversary, and after that, they did not want any more anniversaries. They made that clear. But on their 70th, we were all together. I'm sitting with my mother, and I said, Mother, do you know the names of all of your great-grandchildren? Because I didn't know who all these kids were. And she waved her hand and she said, oh, yes, she said, "Uh, I have a prayer list and I mention them to God every day. Now, when she died, we found her prayer list, 121 names, all of the children, the grandchildren and the great grandchildren, all written in her script in her hand. Mm. We photocopied it and sent it to everybody. We wanted every kid to see they were on grandma's prayer list. She prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. And some of the folks on the list were also some missionaries. She prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, earnestly, consistently. And you know, Wayne, I really do believe that my continuing ministry is an answer to my parents' prayers. It's a great challenge to all of us. And in this world where our kids and our grandchildren, with technology... If it was important then, think how much more important it is now. You know, I was about 18, 20 years old before I saw television. Think of the kids today growing up with television, growing up with cell phones and tablets and all the things that they can access. We have to pray, 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 pray. Well, I don't believe, I have no reason to believe you have this memorized, but in the book there's a hymn that you've said meant a lot to you through the years. And I just wonder if you would uh, conclude our conversation with reading the stanzas of that hymn All that right. you have in your book. I, I I'll have, tell you, I every them time to bring this with gets me, so. sung, I, tears come to my eyes because it's the story of my life. God leads his dear children along. The second and the third stanzas. Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads his dear children along. 
sometimes in the valley, in darkest of night, and I might say I've had some here at Moody Church, God leads his dear children along. Though sorrows befall us and Satan oppose, God leads his dear children along. Through grace we can conquer, defeat all our foes, God leads his dear children along. And then I love this. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood, some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. The story of my life That's your story. is the story of a boy growing up in Canada and becoming the pastor of Moody Church for 35 years, giving God all the glory. If you've been listening to this interview with Dr. Erwin Lutzer on radio, you want to go online and listen, where you'll hear an extended conversation, including more about Moody Church and more about his parents who shaped his life. His autobiography is titled, He Will Be the Preacher, and we'll provide additional information on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Now that you've listened, I hope you'll take the time to go to our Facebook page and leave a comment. It's simple to find us. Just go to facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. And let me mention once again that our new first-person smartphone app is nearing release. The latest information at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, our guest will be another great pastor, this time Dr. Billy Kim from Korea. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next week for First Person 